You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey everybody, it is Wednesday evening, time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. Sitting across from me, my guest tonight, Mr. Patrick Allen, driving out from South Lyon. This is originally going to be a Skype interview, so uh, I'm glad that uh, you decided to come in person. It's always it's always better to talk to somebody face-to-face if we can help it, so thanks for doing that. Um, how you doing, man? Oh, uh, pretty good here, Alex. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, yeah, thanks for driving in. Um, and uh, been wanting to talk to you since pretty much the beginning of the show, I'd say. So we're two and a half years in, and we finally got you. So thanks for uh, thanks for coming out. I saw you last week. Um, I see you like maybe like a couple times a year, I'd say. Uh, and uh, you've always got so many stories. And I've known you. You know, you're you're the father of uh, one of my good friends, a uh, guy I've known since high school, and who's my brother's known since elementary school. And uh, so you've been been around our our family and and our lives for uh, many many years. So uh, known you for a while, and uh, now we finally get to get to have you on the record here. So looking forward to this. Uh, I started off the qu- the uh, the interview with the same question every time. That question is, where were you born? I was born in uh, Detroit. Detroit. Do you, do you know where in Detroit, like the hospital? Do you remember? Wow. I used to. I think my <laughs> age is getting to me. Uh, it used to be a woman's <laughs> hospital. It's, uh, oh, Detroit Memorial. Detroit Memorial. Okay. And uh, did you grow up in Detroit then? Where, what, tell me about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Okay, well... I uh, did grow up in Detroit, uh, but it was it was uh, moved to Detroit when I was five. My dad got out of uh, the army, World War II, when it was over, and uh, you know him and my mom got hitched, and uh, he went and bought a a new home in Allen Park, and then we moved to Detroit, and I can give you a lot of background on that. It's a pretty interesting story there. Yeah, but, go for uh, it. But we moved to Detroit uh, when I was uh, just turned six, and I, I graduated from Detroit, Cooley High, and uh, oh, and that's the shirt you're wearing today. You came is. repping your old uh, alma mater there. I just got it on the website there. Uh, matter of fact, I'm going to go right into a little story right now. Go for it. This was on the website. This T-shirt about I'd have to say about two months ago. And I liked it because uh, it was in black and white and a little bit of gold. And and our school colors are black and red. But I just like those sweatshirts that were uh, offered, uh, you know, just didn't grab me. And this one did. So I asked uh, my uh, daughter, Chelsea, I said, hey, why don't you order this for me? And I flipped through my credit card. And she said, yeah, sure. And uh, the next thing I know, she ordered one for herself. <laughs> and she ordered one for my mother, and she ordered one for, I don't know, just a miscellaneous uh, one that came came across. But before I know it, because these these aren't cheap, these uh, they're they're paying the good bucks for it. Like this, this is a t-shirt, and this t-shirt, with this though it's long sleeve, uh, probably ran about thirty bucks because my total bill was about one hundred and twenty. Oh my so lord! I if I kind of knew if I was going in that direction, I might have would have just you know bypass that little uh, advertisement that was on uh, social media. Yeah, she ends up she ends up buying 
you know, one for herself and several for others. Right. Then, but right. uh, but you are the father of six children, so that's uh, you know you've you've uh, you've said many times, you know, <laughs> well, that happens. Yeah, having uh, having a family nowadays of six kids is uh, basically economically, uh, uh, at least it is for me, a disaster. <laughs> An economic disaster, yes. and I might add real quickly. Uh, I truly, in my heart, thought that uh, you know, especially when they lowered the age down to eighteen, that you become truly an adult. Mm-hmm. I thought that implied that you know they took care of themselves. They could at least buy their own car, pay for the insurance for the car, pay the bill for their cell phones and their cell phones, things like that. And I thought I would probably start getting a little bit more extra money in my pocket to save up for my old age. Mm-hmm. But that uh, so far has turned out to be a little bit of a f- wishful thinking. But yeah, you, you you became the father to millennials, so that's oh. that's what happens. But uh, but I mean, hey, they're all grown now, and and uh, I think almost all of them are out on their own doing their thing. So and even the ones that are still living at home are still doing their thing. So I mean, I'd say I'd say it worked out. From okay. what I can see. <laughs> uh, I do have one left at home. She's the baby of the family. It's mm-hmm. Alexa. And she graduated. She's 23, so she graduated about two years ago. But she has spent the last year uh, back in school again, back in college, uh, because the degree she has, she wasn't satisfied with it, didn't like it. And why she was looking for what to do now she got a, a part-time job at physical therapy as a you know a helper outer there because uh, she has no background in it. That's right. But yeah. she found out that she uh, truly enjoyed it, and uh, so she's taken a few of the prep courses she needs to to take physical therapy in graduate school. So she has about another, I think, about another semester to go before uh, she can apply for um, this graduate degree in physical therapy. Yeah, there you go, man. So it worked out. They're all out. They're all doing their thing except for the baby of the family who's at home going to school. So that's that that all worked out, I'd well, say. Well, yes and no because uh, I keep – they're uh, – although finally Chelsea seems to be on the right track. I got Zach, who is one of your friends, uh, he's uh, recently um, – he's um, – he has a girlfriend that's uh, like eight and a half months pregnant. I just left his place putting his baby crib together. Oh, you're helping with and, that. Oh, yeah. sure. And uh, it was a little more of a challenge than than I can recall as far as putting furniture together. But anyways, uh, and so he has his baby on the way. And, uh, of course, he's, his profession is in the poker business. And that's kind of flexible, I, uh, which I encouraged him uh to seek your dreams, mm-hmm. and in his case, he came to me after his second year in college uh, and says, hey, Dad, uh, I don't know what the hell I'm doing in the college, and he was on the dean's list both, you know, both semesters. He says, I just like poker, and I said, well, go for it, and uh, he started working uh, at charity poker in Northville Downs. Uh, when he was 18, so he already had a background as far as uh, uh, actually making a little bit of a living being a dealer and a floor man and things like that, but he's also a player, and I told him, just do, you know, just realize you uh, don't get into the Marian mood or anything like that because it's kind of a very tough uh, occupation to really make a good 
living in it. It's kind of like being a movie star. Not mm-hmm. too many people can uh, afford to be an actor or an actress, really. You know, right, right. But he's he's been at that for for. I mean, as long he's as I've got, known him, so I'd say it worked out for that. He's for him, got you know? he's got twelve years in. All right, and so so uh, you know, I mean, he was pretty much kind of getting by on his own. Uh, every now and then something turns up where he don't quite have the funds for it. And he does, uh, I don't know how he does for sure, you know, uh, but, uh, he's, he's been getting by, but it's certainly with, uh, with, uh, a baby and his girlfriend, which will, it's going to be his wife. That's right. They're engaged now. Yeah. He, he proposed to her at the baby shower a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, you know, that's in the works, uh, him getting married, but right now, uh, that's changing, you know, that's, that's working out, you know, so much, you know, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's go back to you. Um, so you said, uh, you, you, your parents had a house in Allen park at first, but then you moved to Detroit when you were six. Right. So what happened and where in Detroit were you living and how long did, were you guys, okay. did, did you stay there? This is going to take a, cause I would like to add something to this and how this all went down. All right. Uh, all I know for sure is, is for my dad was a, a pin setter at this old beat up bone alley in Detroit. It was called Strathmore Creation, right where Grand River and Schoolcraft intersect. It's an upstairs bowling alley, 10 lanes, and had pin boys, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, my dad was a pin boy when he was a kid. Then the opportunity came to buy this place. So he always just loved the, the bowling alley. So anyways, he went ahead and and did what he had to do to Big Bauer and Steel and get the money to, to buy the place and and secure a loan on it and this and that, you know. Meanwhile, uh, I was six years old at the time. In, at the, it was the beginning of first grade, maybe about two weeks in to school, and my dad had already went and rented a house a couple of blocks away from the bone alley, so he said it was with easy walking distance. Uh, but anyways, I remember... Uh, well, I'm going to have to backtrack and get the <laughs> you, so you can get the full picture on this. When I started this first grade class, two weeks before my mom came to get me out of school to move to Detroit, we were sitting around. You know how first graders are. You all kind of sit Indian style, and the, it's the very first day of school, and the teacher's going to assign you your seats. Right. So she said... All right. Now, when I call your name, uh, you raise your hand, and I would point to your chair that you're going to have for the whole semester. So that was a pretty easy question, so I was up for it. (laughs) So anyways, the teacher calls right at the very first person. She calls Pat, and then she says, Alan. Well, at the time, I didn't know my last name. Oh, So I was a little – when she said Pat Allen, I thought that was one name. Like everybody just had a you know a name like that or whatever, and so I was going to kind of raise my hand when she said Pat, but that Pat Allen kind of got me a little confused, right? And so I went and was hesitant. Meanwhile, this other kid raises his hand up. Okay, I said, "Well, well, okay, I guess I'm glad I didn't raise my hand because yeah. that guy's Pat Allen." So she signs him a seat, you know. <laughs> And so, anyway, she's going on calling, you know, Mary Lou, uh, you know, Brown and Susie Q, uh, you know, 
Berg, you know, anything. Right. She's going right down through the, the list of all these kids. There's about 25, 30 of us, you know. I'm getting a little nervous because there's only a few of us left and all this. Other. Then she goes out and calls Pat Zruski. Well, I heard the word Pat. That's good enough for me. <laughs> and I raised my hand. Okay. So anyways, she goes and assigns us to this uh, my seat. And, and when he's, of course, he's kind of in the back. You know, she kind of was kind of going in alphabetical, alphabetical order. So I'm kind of in the back of the room. And there's they don't have them nowadays. But back then in first grade and even in the upper classes, uh, they had the desks were double seats. With the and you, uh, the desktop rolled up so you could put your supplies in and put it back down, but it was it was a double seater, and so I was fortunate enough, although at the time I didn't realize it, I had a gorgeous looking young little girl that sat right next to me. It was really kind of cool, but at that time I didn't really think that much of girls or anything. And right, I, being I, six and all, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I would rather sit with some of these cool guys. Right, you know, right. what I'm thinking, you know. But anyways, the bottom line, we're all signed and couple weeks go by then all of a sudden my mother comes in with the principal into my classroom and i seen my mom and i tell the girl to sit next to me unfortunately i forgot her name and i'm so proud of my mom because my mom's the most gorgeous woman i've ever seen in my life you know and I'm, I'm saying, that's my mom and the girl goes, oh wow she's really pretty i said yeah she is you know <laughs> and so the the principal and my mother are kind of whispering to the teacher and all that. And so the teacher says, I have an announcement. You know, Pat Allen is moving. This is his mother, Mrs. Allen. And she's going right on and on. And I'm, you know, kind of wasn't, didn't quite put the uh, Pat Allen together and all that at the minute. <laughs> how does she know sure. the, the guy from the first day of class? Like, how does she yeah. know this Pat Allen that took took the first well, seat? Well, this so this Pat Allen kid, yeah. the teacher's kind of going over and saying, pack your supplies up. And he's kind of starts kind of whining. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I might have put kind of like a plug in for your. Show yeah, so yeah. There get we that go, guy. Yeah. Get an interview with him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That guy was a true whiner. Just did a tie. Well, right? I started kind of whining myself, but because I think that he's going to go with my mom, <laughs> and I'm stuck here. And I already told this girl that that was my mom, and and uh, now she thinks I'm a bullshitter or whatever, you know, <laughs> and all that other stuff. But I re- I remember that, and all of a sudden. Because nobody's aware that we got this misname shit going on. And I'm, I, my mom says, this ain't my boy. Here's my boy right over there. And she points, you know, in the back of the room where I'm sitting. And anyways, that kind of cleared up, you know, and we got out of there. I wasn't embarrassed or nothing because I was too young to really be know what it's like to be embarrassed, you know. I right. Was, I was just real happy to be back with my mother. Yeah, you know? and you learned your last name that day, too. You're like, I I'm did, because now, you know, nobody, my, I have to really put partial blame on my parents. Uh, you know, the, I didn't know my last name, uh, but maybe they told me, and I just didn't pay attention. So, you'll leave it be, because I had great parents, you know. So, anyways, I'm, I'm still on this, and the next day, we're shipped off to Detroit, because right. your dad had bought this bowling he, alley. He bought the bowling alley. He had the rental home and all that stuff, and the movers moved everything in. My mom loads the car up. At the time, I had uh, my older sister, who was uh, two years ahead of me, and my another one of my sisters uh, that was right below me. I, I got four sisters and a brother, so so we got some 
Wait, is that? I don't seem right. I got seven in the family. What do I got? I got five sisters. <laughs> Boy, this is not good. I got. Well, I haven't seen one sister for a while, so yeah. Well, no, I, and that's yeah. a lot of people to keep track right, of too. Right. So. so I got five sisters and a brother. Eventually, you know, we had seven kids. So, so anyway, I was going to mention that at the beginning, so I would have. No, no, no. This is this is perfect. Yeah, oh, okay. Keep, keep going. Okay. But any, anyways. Uh, so there's three of us in the office and, and they take my older sister away and then they take me away up to our classes because school's in progress. All right. So I get to my new teacher her name was Miss Crystal and she was a good looking woman. Uh, and anyway, she assigns me a seat and made me feel real comfortable and all that. And of course this is like, uh, I'd have to say this is like one or two o'clock in the afternoon or something like that, you know. And I don't know the all the procedure to all that, you know. So, um, anyways, the bottom line is, is uh, I come back. The, the, this is the very next day. I, I go back to school. This is a little incident. I'm not real proud of this or nothing like that. But I'm sitting around the class. And it's early in the morning. The school started back then at 8 o'clock, okay, in Detroit. And, uh, you know, about you know, 45 minutes go by and all that, and I am kind of really got to go to the bathroom and all that, but I don't know the procedure about it, you know. So I went and, uh, well, I just went and wet my pants, and, <laughs> and uh, there's a little puddle underneath where the area so you didn't think So you didn't think to raise your hand and ask? I, like... I did. I'm a little slow on that end of it or something, but... I truly thought I was going to pull it off. You know what I mean? <laughs> you were just going to be like, I'm just going to piss myself well, here. No one will notice. Yeah, that's what know. I thought. And nobody would notice, uh, you know. But I I happened to glance down. I just see like a puddle there. And, of course, my pants were all drenched. I was probably wearing some type of cocky uh, uh khaki material that shows <laughs> quite well. I don't know, but the bottom line is I did wet my pants, and it was deliberate. And this I was mean, on the first day of school. The first this day is my there. first full day. Your first, first full day. So the teacher goes to me, oh, oh, no, no, this, Pat Allen, you don't do things like that here in first grade, you know. <laughs> and so she goes and puts me, back then, this is what they did, you heard of the, in the corner with a dunce cap? No, fuck Okay, well, I didn't have a dunce cat, but I had, there's a three-legged stool in the corner of the classroom up by the blackboard, and I had to sit there. So wait know? a minute. She didn't even, like, send you to go get new pants or anything? No. She was just like, oh, my God, you pissed your pants. Now I'm no. going to make you, I'm going to make sure everyone I guess this. I'm going to air dry them. I really didn't ask any questions. I'm, I'm going to put a little input here, Alex. I was always kind of a little bit on the shy side. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that might have, you know, kind of reflected why I wasn't, uh, you know, asking her questions or, you know, why I ain't going to sit in these. What I didn't care. didn't, you know, I... It wasn't that bad of a deal for me. You were just I, thinking, oh, this is the procedure. I was embarrassed that I, I knew the corner was for for kids that did something wrong, uh -huh. and I wasn't comfortable there. Okay, so <laughs> now here's the Especially catch. with wet pants. Especially yeah. with wet pants, you know. And so the, I, I was just, you know, in the corner waiting. Now, all of a sudden, there may be about 15, 20 minutes go by, teachers, okay, it's time to go to a lavatory break in first grade. And they split the morning, about half of it, and then they leave single file. All the kids leave the room and go to the lavatory, all right? Uh, of course, the girls go to the girls and men's, uh, the boys go to the men's room. 
and you also get to have a drink of water or whatever. So everybody lines up except for me. I'm in the corner. I think maybe because I'm so quiet and everything, she totally forgot I was there or she knew I was there and left me there. I don't know, but they all took off, you know, and they went in the in the single file line. They all leave the room. I'm sitting there and got sure enough, lavatory line, geez, God damn it, I got to go myself yeah. <laughs> again, see? Oh, my God. And I said, what? what is this? Well, my pants were already all wet and everything, you know? <laughs> So I just pissed again, right there on that three-legged stool. But I've, now I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I learned from my mistakes. I go and I say, hey, there's that puddle on the floor. I ain't getting caught on this one. You know, my pants were already wet. That's the way they are. So I went and looked around. I'm a little panicky because I know I got to dry <laughs> up this thing. Well, the closest thing to me, when they had the big teacher's desk right in front of the blackboard there, and I'm in that corner of the blackboard area, and I look and I see this sweater on the back of the teacher's desk. <laughs> I grab I grab her sweater, and I soak up that piss that's on the floor. It happened to be a white sweater. Oh, right? my God. And it was kind of dingy looking after her because there's dirt on the floor, this and that. And I put it back up there, and he said, oh, man, I pulled a good one. This, <laughs> I'll never I, find I, out I'll about that. I'll never find this out. Well, needless to say, uh, the kids all came back in, and the teacher noticed it immediately. She went and grabbed my hand and took me straight down to the principal's office, <laughs> called my mother up, and I'm not sure what happened after that, you know. But uh, but anyways, uh, I learned uh, – I learned some of the rules of so, the game. So that was that a day. big couple of days for you. You learn your last name, and you learn this is you're not supposed to piss your pants twice and then mop it up with this teacher's well, sweater. In in you know, all at the age of six. That's so, what I'm saying. It's, it's it's a lot of information. That's what school's all about. It's <laughs> learning, <laughs> learning, and you know, try to remember things. Yeah. So. Well, so I mean, how did that? What did that do for you, like your reputation amongst the kids? Because at first they're kind of like, oh. If I'm thinking about it, like if it was me, I would have been like panicking. I would have been sobbing. I would have been at the age of six anyway. But um, the other kids are like, dude, this kid is like, what the fuck? He just pissed himself. But then they get back from the bathroom break. Oh, my God. He wiped up the teacher, the, the his piss with the teacher's sweater. That's badass. Like this kid doesn't give a fuck, man. So what, what did that do for you? Well, like, I tell you the truth, Alex. Uh, when I showed up the next day in my dry clothes and I knew the bathroom routine and all that stuff, I kind of blended in. Nothing was really – I never – as far as the other classmates go, I never – you know, this, really, this was – something seemed like in the first grade, this was happening once a week or something with some kid anyway. Oh, so, so it really wasn't this that. This is more of a common feature. So this wasn't that big. Now, if you want to get about the kid that pissed his pants in the seventh grade, that's a different matter. Yes, and that, very much And so. I, yeah. I was witness to that. So, but any, anyways, uh, uh, I, I don't think, uh, I had no ramifications from that. Well, that makes sense. Cause kids, you know, at that age, you know, a lot of them have, in fact, it's almost sort of like a, a rite of passage, you know, it's like, you never see Billy Madison where the kid pisses his pants and then Adam Sandler as Billy Madison splashes water on his, on his crotch. And he's like, you're not really cool till you piss your pants. And it's, it sounds like it was kind of a, a similar thing with, uh, with, with your class there like it was sort of like well you know billy pissed his pants today but whatever you know the other guy did it the week before pat did it we all remember when pat did it and mopped up the teacher's 
you know, using the teacher's sweater. Uh, well, <laughs> but I that's think, fucking hilarious, man. That's well, a, I think uh, there's something in what you said. It's it's kind of kind of true. Well, let's let's so so. Um, what were you into as a kid, though? Just in general, like I mean, after you moved to Detroit, like how did you spend your time? And and then, like I said before, how long did you live there? When did you move out of Detroit? Okay. Uh, I moved out of Detroit. I don't know if I which answer I should give you first. You know. Yeah. No. However, you because I mean, obviously, you went to Cooley, so you were yeah. living there through high school. But. Well, I graduated from Cooley. Uh, I graduated in 1967. Of course, we had the riots going right. on uh, yeah. in '68. I think it was maybe '67. Uh, but uh, and the riots basically. Uh, it was, I, I don't know. It's just probably the worst thing that ever happened to the city to Detroit. And, and of course they were going all over the country really. Yeah. Uh, that was it, definitely it, 68. Yeah. So, 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 uh, the bottom line is, uh, my folks were hanging in there. I love Detroit. I loved where I lived. Uh, it was, I had, I had everything in the world, all my relatives, and just a short flashback, my dad's from a family of 13, my mom's from a family of eight. I had 57 first cousins. Wow. And majority of them, like 85%, lived in Detroit within a couple miles of each other. So, I mean, they're, uh, you know, I had relatives everywhere, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, and Detroit, it's just uh, back in the late 50s and, and mid 60s. Uh, man, I never envisioned anywhere else to live. I just liked it. You know, it was, I, I have nothing but great memories of, uh, you know, uh, growing up in Detroit. Uh, last summer, my actual home on, uh, 14352 Mark Twain, uh, was finally demolished, hmm. you know, uh, and of course it was torched few years before that, uh, the garage was torched maybe 10 years before that, and probably about six or seven homes on my block, beautiful homes, uh, are, you know, had been torched and fired and, and whatever. I mean, it's, it just fell apart. We moved as far as Detroit went. I had another sister, Sybil, and uh, she's below... It's Becky, and then Sybil was the next born. She ended up being going to medical school, U of M, and she's a medical doctor, getting ready to retire. She's uh, around sixty six or something like that. But uh, she got uh, she got in a lot of fights. Uh, Cooley, what they changed the boundary lines of Detroit. They're trying. They are all those cities were trying to work out ways to immigrate the schools more, mm -hmm. more efficiently. And Detroit was based on uh, all the schools, elementary, and junior high, and high school that you could walk to, wherever you were in Detroit. And there were like circle radiuses they had everywhere. Well, one of the things they ended up doing was making, changing the boundaries of the districts for all the different schools and making ellipses that went into the inner city where the majority of the black population lived. Mm -hmm. So after I graduate, Cooley High, when I graduated, was about 15% black. And when they changed the boundaries, it was 50-50. So they achieved that part real well, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, 
but that's my because I have uh, a lot of siblings and all that. The ones that were going to Cooley at the time, where I was already graduated and was in college, uh, their things were changing really bad. She was in fights uh, and involved knives and stuff, and Jesus. and and their wicked fights. And my, my folks, if that's it, we're out. We're leaving. Uh, so, okay, yeah. And and shamefully or not shamefully, but. There is a huge exit of whites, right? The white flight stuff. I, yeah, that's I when mean, that it, happened. Yeah, after it, the riots, they just, it just, they all went to the suburbs, mm -hmm. you know, and so, and it was drastic. You know, Detroit was around two million in the late fifties, and now it's six hundred fifty thousand. You know, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, you, you know, I, I mean, I'm really thrilled to see the rebirth, but they have a long ways to go. Yep, you know, yep. but and they uh, know it too. And they know it, and they basically they're trying things that will that seems to me could work, and that is by uh, upgrading the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. That's what they got to do, and of course the schools got to be great, and they're putting up new schools, but then you know just that part's not working out, you know, because I actually worked on, uh, uh, of course it's not new anymore, but uh, the new Cast Tech. Oh yeah. Know? And uh, and and the old Castec had a beautiful reputation. It was a great school, uh, but they made uh, just a fantastic new Castec high. It's just just has everything under the sun, and it. it's a gorgeous high school. And, and you I'm, did that when you were an iron worker. I did that in an iron work. Oh, okay. uh, my company happened to have the the steel frame structure contract. Really? Yeah. So I didn't know you worked on that. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, um, so. What what were you into as a kid though? Like what was well, what were your hobbies? Well, okay, like, uh, here's here's what I was really into. Uh, my dad buying the bowling alley. I became a bowler. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I became a very good bowler. And as I grew older and older, I was on the best teams in Detroit, the prep teams and the team masters and things like that. And naturally, just because I did a lot of bowling, really, I had the opportunity and had a little bit of ability. But it was the opportunity that was there for me. So. I had no idea that's what your dad did—that he was—he owned a bowling, he ran a bowling. Well, he—he he, now that's exactly what he did. But he was an iron worker during the day. The bowling alley uh, was a small place, a ten-lane place, and he opened that up at six six thirty. When the league started at seven, you know, the leagues that he had. Mm -hmm. And when we first bought the place, it was an upstairs bowling alley. Bowling was so popular in the mid-50s uh, that I, I remember I was just a little kid. Uh, people waiting to bowl would be outside, uh, outside the bowling alley. Uh, waiting on the stairways going up to the bowling alley and a long line going to the counter of the bowling alley. That's how busy the bowling alley is when when it was open bowling. And there's five leagues, five days a week. So, so there, you know, the it's slots for open bowling was, yeah. wasn't there that much. But the, but the, but uh, eventually, what happened to my dad is uh, all the bowling alley became very popular. They probably started putting up these super bowling alleys. With fifty lanes, sixty lanes, eighty lanes, clover lanes, a hundred lanes, this kind of deal, they had huge bars, and, and all the bowling alleys had bar. My dad didn't have a liquor license, and he couldn't get one mm. because there was a bar, oh, a bar every block, 
right. and sometimes right. two bars on a block, yeah. and there's no more liquor license in the area. So my dad couldn't compete with uh, – back then, bowling seemed to go hand-in-hand hand with drinking beer and, and smoking cigarettes and bowling. You know, that seemed to be the art form or something there. And these new bowling alleys were just sucking my dad's business out. So, you know, uh, what he did was uh, he took two of the lanes out and put put in a pool hall and with some video games, pinball games, and uh, shuffle boards that you see in, uh, in, the, in the bars, you know. But it was the pool tables. So what I did as a kid, I became a very good pool player because I'm playing all the time. Became a very good bowler. In the back room was constant poker games going. You remember, we, had, uh. we employed pin boys. Mm-hmm. And when they weren't setting pins, they usually were doing some form of gambling. And that was usually playing pool, bowling pot games, or playing cards. And we had people off the street that enjoyed playing cards and stuff like that. So basically, from the age of six on, I uh, that's when uh, it was a few years later before my dad put the pool hall in. But still, I was pretty young. Uh, you know, I did uh, all those activities and became pretty proficient because I spent so much time playing poker, so much time. And I had money because, uh, you know, I always worked. You know, I always always had paper routes, all, you know, all the way through, you know, and stuff like that. Uh, I set pens, you know, for my dad and mom and, and stuff like that. So I had gambling money, but it's, eventually it became pretty fortunate i didn't need money to really yeah i was winning yeah (laughs) it was another source of income for me how old were you when you started winning at poker at poker well probably in reality because i they i couldn't get into the good games until i was about 12 years old all right Mm -hmm. and naturally i was still you know still the youngest person because you had to be uh i don't know what you had i think you had to be 15 to be a pin boy but most of the pin boys were uh, actually uh, men, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you know. It's and that's a tough job. I'm telling you, setting pins, it really is. But uh, but anyways, that's some of the things I did uh, as a kid. And of course, I I truly enjoyed, you know, all the sports. You know, baseball, football. Uh, but it was all on what I'd say, sandlot and street level. We played football just on the streets, and we played it every single day, and we played it with with a passion, you know. Mm-hmm. And baseball, uh, in, during the summer, from, you know, it seemed like as soon as I got up until 6 o'clock in the evening, that's all I did was play ball, you know, baseball. It was it was the it's what we did as kids. So I enjoyed playing sports, and uh, I enjoyed uh, the opportunities that was offered to me in my dad's bowling alley. So, what were your ambitions as, as especially as you as you sort of transitioned into adolescence? Like, what were you thinking as to like what do I want to do for a career? Because you ended up going to college, I believe it. Did you go to Western? I graduated from Western. That's right. Uh, it's ten years took me to get out, but uh. but that's it's not for lack of trying because I I went all the time because I enjoyed school, but I never seen a counselor and I just took courses which I thought were interesting. Uh, and so that's, but that's that's a great way to, to go about it. I mean, not if well, you in terms I of really take you a while to graduate, what, but I really didn't know what to be uh-huh. for for starters. You know, I had the opportunity. One thing I wanted to do. One of my dad's biggest fears. My dad 
and same with my grandfather. He did not want me to become a structural iron worker. That I do know. Really? However, the way I could go to school was to work iron work during the summers, make tremendous money, and have a life of Riley when I went to school because I had money in the bank and, and you know, it, it was I didn't have to worry about working while I was in school. Right. You know? So, so, but I knew one of my dad's heaviest wishes was to get a college degree and not go into ironwork. But I'm, I'm telling you, in the summers when I and this is good when I first started going to to uh, Western because ironwork was very, very good, and it's a union. You know, I'm a union iron worker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I could work on a permit because I knew people like my dad and my uncle, who was a business agent for the union stuff. I had connections so I could get in there with a straight permit and get journeyman's pay at 18 years of age and make, and be working at Zog Island or one of the other steel mills working seven days a week, 12 hours a day back then and making and this is this is going back in the sixties, making well over a thousand dollars a week. Oh and wow, this was fantastic money! Uh, back then, Western to go to Western was two grand was tuition for the okay. for the year for, for the year. Yeah. Oh my god! So so, so you were uh, set. It, it was it was uh, it was very good, you know. Yeah. Uh, for me, uh, and and not only that, but you get the way the iron workers work is it's every per hour you get. What they call a vacation pay, pay that's you get twice a year. So, uh, anyways, uh, I'm saying uh, I don't know what it is right now, but because uh, I've been retired for 15 years, sorry, right? but it was about six twenty-five an hour, which adds up, you know, especially if you're doing overtime and stuff like that. So I, I was getting at least five thousand minimum uh, a vacation check in June and other. Five thousand minimum uh, for December. You get twice a year. You get your vacation pay and take your vacation. But I never took vacations. You mm-hmm. know, I uh, use that money for other purposes. Well, how did your dad and grandpa react then? If you when when you said I'm going in, were you, were you okay. there? Were you just like, oh, this is the most practical thing since I know you? Well, or? That's a good question. It was. I don't know about my grandfather because he, you know, he passed on. He was dead. Uh, and he basically, he was more, he was, uh, he was a hard guy and he, uh, hard drinker. He spent most of his money that he made in the bars, you know, uh, even though he had 13 kids, you know, uh, but he was, he was kind of a spent it, spent it. He was a drunk, you know, I'll leave it at that. And so I wouldn't really care what he thought because, uh, you know, he wasn't, a real grandfather to me. Mm-hmm. He never even knew my name. Really? Right? And and my d- dad was one of his favorite sons, all right? Uh, yes, uh, my dad has a couple other brothers who are iron workers also, you know. Most of my dad's siblings of the 13, most of them are girls, all right? But anyways— Just about, like your family and just like the family of your kids too. Right. Yeah. Same thing. We seem <laughs> to specialize in uh, 
little princesses. And uh, Zach's first kid is going to uh, be a daughter like, as well. Yes, so that's true. <laughs> so they, the, the tradition continues. Maintaining, you know, that type of tradition. It's just in the DNA or what, what, however the XY stuff works. You know? Right. But so your dad, though, what, what was it? What was? Oh, anyways, reaction? my dad. I satisfied my dad. Uh, and and things went downhill for me because they were, after a few years, ironwork and the whole economy was falling apart, and I couldn't get I couldn't get in there because I was not didn't go was a was not a union member, and mm-hmm. you know, I didn't go through the apprenticeship program and all that. So I'm trying I'm going to try and shorten this up uh, a little bit, but uh, uh, I my dad was satisfied because I went into ironwork after I got and held. My college degree. Uh, See, okay. So once yeah. I got that, that was his main thing. He wanted me to go to college. Well, I went to college forever because I loved it. And uh, I just best years of my life was in college. I mean, as far as just having a blast, mm-hmm. you know, and being a foolish person and all that was was – was my twenties? So wait, so because you said you were, you worked in the ironwork during college though too, didn't you? I you, did you, when so. I could. Mm-hmm. It, there had to be work available. Uh, See if I be, I'm out on a job. Uh, if I'm out on a job and they find out, my dad was known to square down. All right, and my dad was a big honcho in ironwork. You know, he was you know always superintendent, general foreman, this and that. He's, he had a he had a lot of weight and a lot of pull with the union. I had an uncle that was a forever business agent, you know. Uh, another uncle, recording secretary. They're all involved politically, as long as also being iron workers, you know, for the union. All right, they find out. Oh, that's you know, that's uh, Squirt's kid. You know, that's why he's working. He shouldn't be working. You know, he's taking a union man's job. Then that's the end of the politics for my family. You know. Uh, though, uh, and, and I'm just going to say this, I, my uncle Wendy, the business agent, I'm just saying because it's just flipped on the top of my mind. Oh, yeah, say, say uh, whatever I, he, he was a politician, you know, he, he he made a ton of money being the business agent for Iron Workers Local 25. But I remember one of my first jobs on permit when I was 18 years old, I was sent out to uh, McLeod Steel, it's a big steel mill downriver. And uh, there was a huge water tower up there. And this is, I'm talking about my Uncle Wendy, mm-hmm. okay, my dad's younger brother. And uh, you know, politics were going on, so there's all kind of political advertisements going on and things like, especially in the steel mills where there's a ton of iron workers, you know, working on the blast furnace and, and all this other jazz that are, these are the big jobs that have maybe 150 iron workers and they're working seven days a week. Uh, 12 hours a day, double shifts and all that. Well, up on the huge water tower up there, somebody painted up there, vote for Wendy Allen, he can drink a gallon. And <laughs> that's the kind of reputation. And that was a big thing, you know. Oh, that guy can drink a gallon. Yeah, I'm voting for that guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever. Who cares yeah. how he runs the union? Well, just, yeah. you know, that's immaterial. I mean, that's, you know, that's just the way it was, you know. You know. Maybe it still is. I don't know. I've been out of the racket for a while. But when I got out of uh, college after 10 years, uh, I was – what to do with this? I had a Bachelor of Science and it was kind of whatever. You know, I don't know what to do. I remember when I went to graduate, I had about 145 hours. You need 120 to graduate. And I just – for the second time in my life, the first time was orientation. Second time I went to a counselor and I said – what here here's my hours 
I'm graduating. What do I got? You know, type mm-hmm. of thing. So I happened. I did take. I was going to be a secondary education teacher, and and I did go and take all the student teaching and all that other stuff. But I didn't did not want to be a teacher. I found that out while I was student teaching. That's when times have changed. Now I'm talking about the early seventies. Uh, you know, seventy two, seventy three, seventy four. Uh, the attitude change with this high school population, and that's what I was mm. interested in. And when I was student teaching, maybe it's because it's where a student taught. I taught at the old Kalamazoo Central High School, and they put a brand new one up, but the old one was used for hard-to-discipline kids and uh, and kids that also, like uh, the girls that happened to have uh, – Babies or whatever, or pregnant or something like that, but it was a, uh, it was a alternative school, mm-hmm. and I think that's the only where I could get a, a student teaching position uh, at the time. Another reason why I loved going to school was I was in rock bands. I had hair down to my ass, and uh, that was still a little bit of a thing as far as being a teacher. You know, uh, uh, it's still there, a little taboo. There was, uh, you know, that was a. Uh, a new th- my dad couldn't stand my long hair. You know, I was another real mark, and I, you know, I lost a little respect for my dad because he, you know, just based me on being a hippie and and a long hair and and stuff. And you know, once he said that, my hair kept growing. Right, know, it's a rebellion type of thing you do with kids, and you, you still know? got it now. So well, it's not down what, to your ass, but what you got I, it. Yeah, what. What I have left, yeah. <laughs> so, but but anyways, when I got out of school, uh, all the jobs I had, and I had multiple multiple jobs. A lot of it self employed and things like that, you know. But one thing I did know, one thing that ironwork did for me, and I had a lot of background, a lot of experience, and I did work a lot. I said, I'm going through the apprenticeship school. This is at the age of thirty. Mm-hmm. Going through the apprenticeship school, become an iron worker, go th- climb up the ladder the right way, you know, and uh, and because something about iron work, there's a thrill factor to it. Hmm. All right, you're working on skyscrapers, you got that just the balls up craziness that's going on, you know, just putting these buildings up. It's a lot of bulwark, a lot of heavy duty work, and all that stuff, but. The challenges are there, and basically, mostly because of my high school background and middle school background, uh, I took a lot of drafting, you know, and I took some detail work and all this other stuff, and most iron workers didn't have the background I had. First of all, I got a college degree. Second of all, uh, you know, I basically was the only one on the usually the only person on the job that could really interpret the blueprints properly. Right. Yeah. So you okay. had an experience and a background. So, so because of that factor, uh, my life was short term as far as a you know gun hole connector and trying to be the best of doing that mm-hmm. uh, and anything else, a welder and things like that. You know. Uh, so so the. the uh, I was basically always in supervision. I also, there's a stunt in my life where, where I did have a bad fall, and uh, was out of ironwork for quite some time—13 years. But 
a couple years of it uh, to learn how to walk again. Mm -hmm. So I happened to fall down an elevator shaft, you know, but say here or there, that's just another type of thrill that happens in iron work, you know. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, but, but the bottom line is uh, I also was an instructor at the Iron Workers uh, Apprenticeship School. And at the same time, I became an instructor at, uh, at Henry Ford Community College, hmm. teaching there blueprint reading and uh, in an algebra class. Uh, but the career as a teacher at college, and it's better than high school. There's actually, most of the kids kind of want to go to college that are there, though there's a lot of pressure from their parents. But but there, it wasn't the same as the high school experience I've had. I love teaching, period. Mm -hmm. Teaching's great. Iron work, being an apprentice instructor, was truly great because all those guys, almost all of them really had a desire to uh, to learn, okay? And that is, that's really something. And I thought I could create that desire when I was student teaching, you know, get people interested in, in how to learn. But I couldn't do that. And when I found out I couldn't do it, then I didn't like it because mm. I'm not teaching anymore. I'm babysitting. Right, yeah. Right. Well, that, that, that's incredible. Like, I never knew that you taught at Henry Ford. Like, it's but so that, that's really incredible. Um, well, let but me so, I, I want, I, I just want, I want, you brought something, uh, and I want to bring this out to yeah, the yeah, yeah. general public, is the problem with all your community college schools and all that, 90% of them are all working part-time, okay? Yeah, you can't yeah. get full-time gigs, and so you can't succeed there. You know, mm -hmm. you can't get by on a part-time wage. And that's the problem I have with community college teaching there. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know who you have to know to get a full-time position right. as a professor. No such thing as tenure or anything like that. So, um, but, uh, so you were in ironwork from, you said like the early 70s is when you started that or like the late 70s? I started ironwork basically, uh, in 67, I started, but as far as my time, and I just got my 45-year pen mm -hmm. uh, from uh, whenever I graduated, uh, uh, started the apprenticeship school. That's when my time actually started. Uh, so I, lost, uh, I lost then. thousands and thousands of pension money from uh, not being in the union properly uh, uh, because there's a set format of how you get your pension, you know. Now, needless to say— uh, and, and this I want to bring out to our listeners out there, but though there's, it's, I wish there was a lot more, like millions, <laughs> because in the trades, I'm going to give you a slight example. In the trades, you start when you're 18. I got a cousin, iron worker, started when he's 18. Tack on 30 years on that, that's 48. That's when he got out, and his pension is $80,000 a year, period. I'm going to say no more. So the trades, you think you can make money as a school teacher and this and that, and then you got a good pension. The trades have a better pension, period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know. Well, good to know. All all, all twenty of my listeners will will appreciate. Well, that. in I'm fact, saying, in fact, I know some of the people that that do listen. Uh, several of them do work in trades. As well, friends of mine, trades. So. I'm telling yeah. you now. My to get to the eighty thousand, that was his plan. Okay, and he was the highest pensioner when he retired at 48. Since then, he went on another trades, you know, that completely different from ironwork and got another pension going. 
you know. And now uh, pretty soon you'll be whatever, 70, so you get maximum Social Security, which would be around 3200 a month, you know. Of course, he's already making a pile more than that already. Right. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he did this, but he sacrificed his family because he went in as an iron worker. There's the big structural bridges and high rises and things like that. But there's also the automobile companies you go in that's all overtime when they have their changeovers and everything, work on all new uh, conveyor lines and revamping everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you have the steel mills that constantly need attention on all the blast furnace and relining them and all that massive overtime. He basically worked seven days a week, 12 hours a day, had no life, you know, pretty much mm-hmm. uh, to achieve that high up pension. Uh, and, uh, and his family, uh, you know, as a result, kind of, you know, uh, had his, it had, uh, it had an effect on dad. That. Yeah, yeah. He was he was gone all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, that's that's one of the reasons I kind of got out of the controls thing that I was doing. You know, I mean, one of the reasons was I didn't particularly like it, but the other one was the hours are just, you know, you don't, you don't, like you said, you don't have a life, and and I I enjoy. I don't I don't live to work. I work to live. I love to work with some things. Like I love to write. I love to do other things. But that wasn't one of the things I loved. So I'm now I'm back at Kensington, and uh, there was something that. Oh yeah, like you were talking about pensions. Uh, one of the guys, he's not there anymore, but um, I worked with. He worked for Ford, so he was taking a pension, and he was working for Kensington. So he's getting. You know, it's like there you go. It's it's a good deal. And uh, especially the like I'm saying, you have a thirty and out. Uh, so you're young. You're under fifty when you get out. And you got a pension that's gone, but you you learn another trade, or you you're uh, become a small business person, or something like that, and uh, and uh, you have a second life. You really do. You're still young enough to have it. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm always trying to, although I I I don't think it'll happen, but uh, because I'm 70 years old now, and and it's getting to the point where you know I'm I don't know. Uh, well, basically, I'm just uh, – my other uh, thing that I'm uh, really have a fondness of is gambling and uh, I'm just going to go into that direction. Yeah, well, that's – and that's a great thing to do, you know, like at, at any age. But, I mean, yeah. you know, at 70, you know, that's a perfect thing. And, and you've been at it for since you were a kid. So you've got all this time. And that was actually one thing I wanted to talk to you about because um, – uh, you, t- you told us how you started your dad's bowling alley. They had right. poker games in the back and the pinboys, and you would go into that. But uh, when did you start playing, like, you know, quote-unquote seriously, like when you were, you know, okay. you were like, okay, I can make money doing this? I had a short stunt in my life. In my, I was 27 where I lived in Vegas for a year. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I lived in Vegas... I was a desperado for a job, uh, and there's more. There's a big back line on that, but you know, you see, I ramble on so much. I you know, can't. It take another ten minutes to explain how I got to Vegas. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the bottom line is, when I was in Vegas, I worked. I finally got it, and I achieved a job by going to what is equivalent to the Michigan employment agency where you get your unemployment checks and also uh, it's a job fair there or whatever you know you also can get jobs when you go to the michigan uh, unemployment offices yeah right? mis- mis- works or whatever work, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever it is well i went to that i i, was, I answered all the ads i went to all the casinos because i wanted to become a dealer 
back then that was big time, you know, that was a lifestyle, just being a dealer. You get your foot in the door, you know. And so uh, anyways, the bottom line, I, I seen an ad uh, in the paper that they were taking a civil service test for Clark County janitors, maintenance people, this and that. So I went and took a test, and they have the same things because I've taken them here in Michigan where they have mechanical tests, little puzzles and things like that. They're all time things, how you can put all these washers on these pegs and, you know, puzzles of different sorts. They're called mechanical tests. It's, uh, I don't know if you've ever taken one, but uh, uh, to get into the, the uh, I don't know, their filing system for all their jobs, you got to do, you got to take a civil service right. type you of test. Right, you got to show what you know. So yeah. you saw the mechanical, in any ways, the bottom line is, it was being held just like in a big bingo hall, you know, tables after tables and all that. I took the written test, took the mechanical tests, mechanical skill tests, and anyways, uh, out of the top three, I was one of the ones that are in the top three, and this is over a thousand people. Uh, got to interview with Clark County uh, to see if they would hire you. They needed one; they had one position, so I went down there to, and to get the job and this is fortune where all your jobs matter and to have a good resume and the most important thing for an employer is basically to be on the loyal side that's always important but to be on time and do a good job you know mm-hmm. and any employee if you do that for any employer if you want to be there for the rest of your life that's where you're going to be because that's what all a employer, employer wants is somebody that will do their job and uh, and be reliable, you know, and come to work on time. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, the bottom line is, uh, I happened to go through a stunt when I couldn't do iron work. I was desperate for money. I was just like most students, you know, because most of us don't have rich parents. Uh, you know, I had to find a way to get income to pay for the room and board and stuff like that. Of course, I have another sideline on that. Maybe if we have time, we could discuss that. And that's when I started buying. Homes, you know. Uh, yeah, the landlord. Yeah. But anyways, the bottom line is I worked for Kalamazoo College as a janitor. And when you worked for a small college, which is right in the middle of uh, Western's campus, you know, surrounded by it, uh, that, that they train once a week. They train you on all the different janitorial equipment that they have, the floor machines, uh, uh, the, I don't know, everything that they got, you know, and how to do everything to be a janitor, how to disinfect toilets and drinking fountains, and how not to cross-contaminate things, and et cetera, and et cetera. So anyways, the bottom line, when I went through my final, when I went through my interview for Clark County, which was a custodial position, and also an ability to go from that position to a better position. Uh, I went and they had these couple people in uh, suits and uh, and ladies in dress, uh, ladies attire, and took me right down to a men's room with a custodial cart and asked me to demonstrate how to clean um, the men's bathroom, up the urinals and the toilets and the sinks and all this other stuff. Well, I happen to know all that stuff because that's what I did and had all the proper training in the world at K College to be a custodian, mm-hmm. all right? So I, I went there and I put on my demo and and I showed how to properly clean a urinal, how to properly clean a toilet, explaining everything, all the steps of the way, 
how to clean the sink. And then I pointed out right here, I said, you don't have it here, but you don't have different types of bags that are labeled that the ones that you use for the urinals and the ones that you use for for uh, the drinking fountains, you know, mm-hmm. and there you have a real high uh, situation where you might cross-contaminate things and all that. Anyway, some methods I used in the demonstration I gave was right out of the book because I was taught through training films and actual demonstrations by supervisors. And I it was mandatory meetings once a week on how to be a janitor for K College. Mm-hmm. So I was a whiz at it. So anyways, when we were in the office, finally uh, the we're in the conference room. They said, oh, we like you, but we've had such a bad situation. The other two interviewers that we interviewed are older, and we feel much more reliable with older people that are more dependable than a young person yeah, such 27 as 27-year-old. Right. So anyways, right then and there, I got my wallet out, I gave him a $10 bill and gave him a business card to my supervisor and told him to call up and ask him for my record. Mm -hmm. That's what they did. He gave me the $10 bill back. All right. Called up. My supervisor gave nothing, which I knew it was good, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and and gave me, uh, you know, the green light and and said, you know, I'm an outstanding employee. And that's how I got that particular position. So you, you know? were set in Vegas then. You're like, okay, I would I say, well, it. no, no, yeah. And the Vegas, I think the original question is uh, the gambling. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, when I first started seriously gambling? Yeah. Well, when I first started seriously gambling, unfortunately, I really had a lot of debt in my business. And I'm telling you what, and I'm telling you here and to all your viewers, I'm a good gambler. And the main reason I'm a good gambler is I have excellent, Excellent money management, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the key ingredient, first of all, of being a good gambler. I mean a successful gambler. You have to have money management. You have to have a bankroll. You have to be able to afford dead money, money that you need for absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. you know? Fortunately, I didn't have it in Vegas. And when I got a little bit extra, I couldn't get in the really big games. The games I could get in is the real sleazy casinos where the what the locals go to, you mm-hmm. know, uh, where they had 50-cent blackjack, they had 10-cent roulette, 25-cent craps, things like that. So I was hanging out in, in those kind of things uh, and making – but it takes all day to make $10, right. you know what I mean, playing blackjack. And uh, and then then I'd go to blackjack, so you have a good chance because I basically, I read all the books. I was a card counter. I had the edge, all right. And uh, and and so, so, but it took, and no, at, at the 50 cents a thing, nobody pays attention to what you're doing if you win five bucks. Right. But at 50 cents, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, you can't keep going. You got to. You have a system that you got to stay with, and what to realize. I and I just couldn't afford to gamble. What I did do is observe all the time. Mm-hmm. When I finally got into uh, gambling, more like a like a gambler with mm-hmm. good money, being able to finally afford to sit down at a hundred dollar blackjack table and things like that. Uh, I was first of all. Didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, number yeah. one. So I had a big bankroll. 
You know, I mean, I I wouldn't go to Vegas unless I already wired them down ten thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. All right, and that'd be in, at the at the cashier's check waiting for me. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. And to be a good gambler, uh, you know, you need money management, and you need to constantly study, and you stay up with the times, and that's I've kind of done still keeping up with the times a bit and everything. But I'm telling you right now, I haven't really, truly gambled in the past 30 years. Oh, really? So, And I'm waiting. This is what I'm going. I'm going right. And when I was regular gambling, mm-hmm. my trots down to Vegas, because I had since then moved back and was a, became an iron worker in Detroit. Uh, and that's where I, I started growing my bankroll. And then one thing always would lead another. I got into real estate pretty heavy. So a lot of my money was there. I, I, could, I couldn't grow. But when I would go down to Vegas and have the money, I never walked, never left Vegas without being well ahead of the game, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like blackjack, be down there, would go down there for a wedding or something and spend one day. I'd, I'd make, uh, and this happened on two occasions, 4000 plus, you know, things like that. So yeah, but know, so that was, that was about what like a ten. If you if you went down to Vegas when you were twenty seven for the first time, and and then you, it sounded like you said it'd been thirty years. And if you're yeah. seventy, you, and I know you became a father at forty. Yeah. So so that was it was your kids that that uh, you, you started having kids and you were well, like, well, I, I have dependents and I got to stop doing this. When now. I have a family, uh, and I didn't generate enough money to gamble. It's mm-hmm. that simple. I mean, I was making a lot of money, and I always you know I'm doing what I could to. To uh, you know, feed the family, house them, and this and that. Uh, they're very expensive, and in, in the bottom line. But I'm I'm telling you one thing that I hold dear to my heart: you can't gamble unless you got the money. And if you want to make pretty good money, you better have a lot of money management to go. Mm. Uh, and I'm keep trying to get a package of a hundred thousand dollar clear mm-hmm. in my money management bankroll for gambling. Mm-hmm. So that gives me ten World Series attempts. You know, but I might blow that all in one summer because they have multiple events. I'm just talking about the ten thousand main, you know, right. and things like that. Now I'm putting around right now, and I'm trying to help pull, uh, help Zach's career out a little bit. And when, uh, in the past couple of years, uh, and we just did two weeks ago, we went down to Firekeepers, where they had the Mid States Tournament, Texas Hold'em Tournament, and that was uh, uh, one thousand one hundred and ten dollars entry. And I put him in, but he's what they call in my stable. I'm mm-hmm. backing him. If he wins, I get half his money. Oh, okay. All right. And I've done that to him quite a number of times uh, in, say, over a $1,000 entry in different tournaments, uh, probably about four to five times, you know, maybe uh, six or so. But, uh, and, uh, and of course, I'm playing also. So far, as far as those big ones go, I've cashed once, and it was for about two thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So I just basically got my money back because I'm putting my kid into, you know, right. So, so uh, I've been unsuccessful uh, at it, but uh, I, I, it's the thing about these Texas Hold'em poker tournaments, and if you follow and you do the research on them, there, it's there's a Definitely big skill level in it, but you still need a little bit of luck because you can know when to get the cards in at the right time, you know, 
You know when the math is on your side, but it doesn't have to be on your side. It's just like playing roulette. You never know when the black's going to come up. It could come up once. It could come up 10 times in a row. You don't know. It's a 50-50 shot. So, mm-hmm. so to beat roulette, and I got, I got some very good strategy for roulette, you know, uh, that I actually can make money on. And, uh, and it's, it's off. I think out of the box when it comes to gambling on a lot of things. I've always been intrigued with, uh, cumulations and, and, uh, combinations, law of probability, you know, cause I got a math background mm-hmm. and, and, uh, it's always fascinated me. So I've still, I still to this day goof around and practice on the computer and everywhere else trying different situations. And the thing about blackjack, with blackjack, just, uh, well, I don't know, uh, I don't know if I should reveal a lot of deep secrets on it. But, yeah, you can keep your, don't, don't, but, don't, but in you know, general, whatever you're comfortable in, with. Yeah, in, in general, with blackjack, you gotta, you gotta be aggressive in the sense, if you wanna make money in blackjack, you can't just sit there, it's a, a $25 minimum and bet, the, it doesn't matter what you bet, but if you if it's a twenty five dollar minimum, and all you do is bet twenty five dollars every time. Uh, they're going to eat you up. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're aggressive, and the best thing I can tell is, as soon as you win a hand, put that twenty five dollar chip on top of your other twenty five dollar chip that's right there, and that's a fifty dollar bet the next time. Mm-hmm. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me, you're good. So, but anyways. Uh, you got to be aggressive. Once you, once you win, always add a little bit more. So that first initial $25 chip you put out there and you win, now you got 50. You win another one, that's three in a row. Well, toss a little bit more on top of what you got, freeze your bet. Mm-hmm. You know, you, now this can be $5 chip. So now you got 55 out there. Just increase it because the thing, especially with multiple decks now, and this is in blackjack, where they're now using a dozen, you know, or some are continuous shuffles. So you never know what's going on. So the, that's trying to mess up the card counters. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it does. But <coughs> well, I got. Boy. But anyways, the bottom line is 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 a real short thing is the the hands either go back and forth, back and forth, uh, you know, to the to the house to you to the house to you. Or there's streaks. There's streaks for the player and there's streaks for the house. Mm-hmm. Okay? So you're just waiting for a streak to happen. When naturally, when you lose, you're at your minimum bet. You drop back down to whatever your minimum bet is every time you lose. Mm-hmm. And then you only raise your bets when you win. And every time, put something else out there. Just put something out there. So when the player naturally is streaking, mm-hmm. then that streak will make you the money. And another little tip is play three or four o'clock in the morning when you're the only player there and you play like three hands on the table. So when it is streaking for the players, instead of having, a, uh, you know, seven people at the table and the streak might only last for two rounds, mm-hmm. well, you know, it's you're there. It's all on you. It's yeah. all on you. You're, you're getting the map of the streak. And it's just a matter of time. Of course, it could be a lot of long losing streaks, but you've got your minimum bet going. So who cares? You got to have the bankroll to write it out. 
What out of all these games that like the roulette, the blackjack, and the poker, like which which you, you like poker the best, right? Would that be fair uh, to say? Uh, uh, thing about poker, it's it's uh, it's it's the thinking element. It's it's the uh, it's the gut feeling. It's uh, especially live poker when you're watching. Get to know the players at your table. All right, uh, you. Kind of get to. I'm not saying you see tells, but sometimes a tell does show up. But that's more of a rare situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And it could be a, a phony tell, you know, and uh, and things like that. I like, you know, I use uh, the old man stupidity thing. Oh, that you know, <laughs> uh, and I try to. Oh, that guy's just an old man. Don't know what he's doing or whatever. You, you hustle know. him then. I take. I take. Yeah. I take advantage. The way I look and perceive to be, you know. <laughs> uh, but but it, it's it's I'm just fascinated by. It. It's kind of a little bit like chess, you know. You you got to do think ahead a little bit and do, especially when you're playing uh, flop games like Texas Hold'em. You got to think how long you're going to stay in here. Are you are you willing to ride this thing out? You have a potential. Can you? If you're going to be bluffing, and bluffing's a key element, you got to know you got to know how to bluff right, mm-hmm. you know. But you got to be determined. You got to know if you're going to ride it out or let your hand go. And of course, you got to have enough guts to know when to let it go too, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's I just like the thinking of it, uh, and and it's actually very sociable, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some wicked things that are said at the poker table, but it's also a lot of fun, and I enjoy that part. Well, there we go. Um, Wow, man. Well, we burned through this hour. I knew we were going to burn through it. But, but Well, I haven't even started because I could really start at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> and I w- wanted to give you a little background on my history of my family, but maybe, you know, down the road or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. If you want to come back, we'll have you back, man. Well, be- I'm going to wait to see how, uh, what I think of it when I hear yeah. my, my voice on the radio. I, I tipped you off on that earlier, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, I'll send you a link when uh, yeah. when it gets posted. But you know. um, but thanks for coming in, man. This has been like I said. I knew we were going to burn right through. And we, we're actually over right now, believe it or not. Wow. So so that went that went by quick. Well, it could have been. I mean, actually, and I I could have went uninterrupted right from the beginning, really. Yeah. And, but I would still probably be on like the fourth grade. Well, we uh, we we got some pretty much everything that I wanted to talk to, except for uh, guitar playing. That was the only thing. Oh, I could, I that's uh, that's a big college year thing, and that's one reason why I stayed in college too. Oh, because of the music. Huh? Uh, the music. We were uh, we were a house band for uh, the Dino's Bar on campus. It was an upstairs, uh, you know, upstairs, downstairs with the pizza hall, upstairs with the bar mm-hmm. lounge. And uh, we were the home band, so we played there uh, twice a month, you know, like first and third or whatever we made it worked out. Did that for years. Well, the next know? time you come on, what we'll do is we'll just have you tell stories. And I'll, like, I've obviously I've got the, the recording now, so what I'll do is I just go through and, and like, because now I, that we've, you basically got your whole life because it's, you know, we got your, the beginning and then we got your, your adolescence and your college years and then your iron worker years and then after, and then your family, right? So we'll, we'll, we can divide that up and we'll just have you tell stories from, that you remember from those, those, well, there's, each era. The, the, the advantage of having a large family is there's a lot of stories to be told, right? You know, so well, it's, it was it was kind of kind of fun to be here, I guess, and uh, <laughs> and whatever. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, thanks for coming in. Um, and uh, I will be back next week. My guest is going to be Daniel Barnett. 
He's coming back, a Wattpad author, and uh, had him on back in May. And we're going to be delving into uh, horror uh, fiction and, and talking more uh, technical type stuff. So that I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, and then the week after that, it's my Halloween show on Danger Slater is coming back, the uh, Zaro horror fiction author uh, who is also here at the end of May. Um, they're uh, both going to be back, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, but I will, uh, like I said, I'll be back next Wednesday. Everybody have a great week. This has been a 